Today's guest started his Amazon business with only $600, but now he's generated over $25 million with a business that specializes in the wholesale method of selling on Amazon. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. And as I always do, we've got a real serious, he's not too serious, he's kind of, he has a sense of humor too, but we got a serious seller today, and that's Dan. Dan, how's it going? Fantastic, Brad. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. Now, little known fact, you were actually speaking at a conference that that I always point to as kind of like having changed my life almost, you know, and, and where I am today. Like I, I had worked before for those, you know, who don't know, I had to work for a company that was selling on Amazon, but I was just basically kind of like the logistics guy. You know, I was I was the money man and and handling the the warehouse and things like that. They didn't tell me anything about Amazon. And when that company kind of split apart, I was like, I don't know if this Amazon thing is for me. And on a whim, I was just like, let me go to this conference. I think it was 2016. It was the Zon Squad Live or something like that. And it, it was, was in Chicago. It was in Chicago. Yep. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. And you and your partner had done something about wholesale, you know, there, which we're definitely going to talk a lot about today. I was like, whoa, this is pretty cool. And then like the second conference I went to, which was in, it was Midwest Ecom or something. You guys were there too. And I'm like, you know what? I know these guys. These guys are pretty cool. And then it's been kind of cool to follow your journey and and so I, I want to kind of go back though, even to find out some things I don't know. I, I know some stuff about your history because, you know, like I said, I was there at the conference, but let's take it back a few more years. Like you said, you're in Kentucky now. Is that where you were born and raised? Yeah, absolutely. All right. And then like graduating high school, did you go to a college? Yep. Uh, after, after high school, I, I went to college locally here, um, the University of the Cumberlands. And I was originally going to be an attorney. When I grew up. Interesting. So like what like inspired that? So I, you, you didn't have you weren't one of those kids then who had that entrepreneurial bug and trying to flip baseball cards or mow lawns. You, you did you have that goal to be an attorney when you were younger, too? It's it's kind of odd. It, it's kind of odd how I decided I wanted to be an attorney because it was when I was really young. Uh, I, I grew up really poor. And one of uh, it, it was actually a, a cool um, I, I was playing Little League and one of the coaches in the Little League was an attorney. And he would always be, you know, he was always really nice, uh, would buy me like, you know, candy from the concession stands. And it was just really, uh, you know, uh, for me, I, I think I just saw attorneys as successful. And, and that's just kind of what I always w- had wanted to be because because of him. Interesting. Interesting. OK, so you started there, started that curriculum. Now, did you see it all the way through or did you stop halfway and decide it wasn't for you or what happened there? Uh, after I graduated from, uh, undergrad, I was getting ready to go to law school and my, my wife was about a semester behind me. So, uh, I, I decided I was going to wait until she graduated so I could move and we could go, you know, I could go to law school. And I started working at this other, at a local company that sells magic, the gathering, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh cards online. And it was kind of like my first introduction into, uh, real e-commerce. Like I'd had an eBay store in college that did pretty good and sold video games. Um, but it wasn't at the same, you know, it wasn't the same thing as what, what I got to experience at the, at the company I worked for. I actually, it was funny. Um, I, 
I have been selling thousands and thousands of dollars worth of Yu-Gi-Oh cards on eBay in the last few years. My my dad, what what happened like 20 years ago or 15 years ago when Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh were really kind of strong, uh, he would fly back and forth from Japan and just like buy out all the toy stores of like their Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon cards and come here and sell it. And then that market kind of washed up. But then the last couple of years it came up and he's like, Hey, I have this shed full of all these 15 year old Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon oh, wow. cards. You think you could sell it? I threw it up on eBay and this stuff was selling like crazy. So there we go. Another thing we have in common. I didn't <laughs> it's realize. crazy. Anyway. So, uh, so how, how did you, when was there a moment that just like kind of like said, Hey, I'm going to shift to e-commerce or was it a gradual thing or how'd that work? It was really kind of a gradual thing. You know, when I started at that company, I started as a card sorter. So I was just literally the, you know, the guy that sorted collections and stuff when they came in. And over the, over the course of time, uh, I, I would work directly with the owner and we would talk a lot uh, strategically because he knew I wasn't going to be a long-term employee. You know, I I'd, I'd, was pretty determined on going to law school at the time. You know, we, we would chat all the time about business, about, about the business in general. And eventually I took over one of the categories, well, you know, three or four months in. Um, and it was the, it, you know, it was the largest category on the website that, that had produced the most revenue. And within the first year, I had tripled that category uh, in size from like 1.3 to, you know, 3 million or 3.5 million or something like that. Like it was a, a pretty sizable amount of growth uh, for, for that category. And uh, then it was it was it was in that period somewhere where I just become uh, like it was it just you know, kind of took over for me as far as being interested in seeing how, um, how just how incredible e-commerce is like the, the ability to connect with customers from, from different areas, because here we are in this tiny area in Kentucky and we had customers from, from all over the world. And over the next few years, um, I, I was with that business and I eventually became a chief officer in that business. And, we went from uh, that first year, I think we were maybe 1.3 million in sales to over 25 million in, in sales per year um, over over a span of about five or six years. So it's pretty cool growth. And that's about the time I, I really started learning about Amazon. And it was it was kind of interesting. One of the other chief officers at the company, um, he, he came in one day and he had turned in his notice. And I was like, Andrew, what are you doing, man? And he's, he said, this is, you know, this is the honest truth. He was like, man, I, I'll be honest. I just make more money sitting in my underwear, selling stuff on Amazon. And I was like, what? And he's like, no, I'm being serious, man. I just sell stuff from the house and, you know, I make more so money. What, doing what that. year was this? What, what year are we talking about here? This is in 2011. Okay. And I was like, so, so how do you buy products? And he was, he, you know, he, he was doing retail arbitrage at the time. And he, he took us out and showed us re, what retail arbitrage was. It was so cool, man. Like I remember, um, it's just such a, you know, it, so it was, it was fascinating because you were able to pay, pay retail price for a product and it would still sell. And it, it really kind of, uh, showed me how powerful Amazon's customer base actually is. And over the course of six months, we started with a, a little $600 credit card. Like I, I didn't have any credit. Um, and and it's kind of, you know, related to my backstory is I, I watched my mom get just absolutely ravaged by credit cards. So I, I was always terrified of them. And so, so I didn't have any credit. So here you the were time. the chief, a uh, chief operating officer of a $25 million <laughs> company and didn't have a credit card. Didn't have a real credit card, right? It's <laughs> insane. It. Um, and then, uh, you know, it, Eventually, um, or, or whenever we started, so I didn't have a credit card and, and Eric, he, he had actual just terrible credit at the time. And, uh, so we, we had a little $600 credit card when we got started and that was in about July 
and we didn't really want to put any any more money into it. Like, you know, uh, just wanted to see how, how we could grow organically for the first few months. And it, you know, it grew, it grew exceptionally well. And then I remember in, in December, this is where it kind of really changed for me is, you know, before this, it was, it was just kind of our little side hobby fun business that we had been growing. And I mean, it had been growing pretty well. Like, you know, we were, uh, doing tens of thousands of dollars a month in sales off of that original $600. And I remember in, uh, this is all retail arbitrage, by the way. Yeah. All retail arbitrage, okay. all in Kentucky, which is, which is interesting because there's not a lot of stores like, you know, my, my closest, um, uh, target for example, is a, is an hour and a half away. Um, and oh. just a lot of the stores you see in major cities aren't, aren't in our area. So we were, we were really having to get out and drive to, to sell lots of product. Uh, but in December, I ended up getting terminated from my job. And it was kind of, uh, I remember, I remember it like me and Eric at the time had this little office that we had rented downtown because my wife, um, my wife was like, Oh, don't bring all this crap home and then be processing it in the, <laughs> the house. Like for your stupid little hobby or whatever. Yeah. And so whenever we, uh, whenever I got fired, I remember I went down to that little office and I sat there and cried and cried and cried. And I was trying to think of like what I was going to tell my wife. Because, you know, we, at the time we, I, uh, you know, I had a good income, but like I'd bought a lot of the things we had in cash. Like I paid off her student loans. I paid off, um, I, I bought a car, I bought her a car and, you know, I, I just bought them in cash because I had money and I didn't, you know, I was, I was terrified of debt and, uh, we had just replaced the roof on our house. We had just replaced the HVAC. Like it was a nightmare time to get fired. And I remember I had 4,200 bucks in the bank account when I got fired. And I was like, holy crap, you know, cause here we are in a brand, you know, a house. And that was my only, that was my, you know, my only real bill besides like your standard living bills, like food and stuff. But it was still, it, you know, with a brand new baby, it was terrifying and not having an income. Um, so I ultimately decided I was going to tell my wife that I quit my job to concentrate on Amazon uh, because I was number one, just, uh, ashamed. Like it was, I was mortified, you know, that I got fired. And the, the second part of it was, I I just didn't want her to be terrified. Like I wanted it to feel like, you know, I wanted her to think it was part of a plan. Um, because I, I am, I am ultimately fairly confident myself to make things work. And so I went home and I I told her that I'd left that I'd left the job and I was super excited about really hammering down on this Amazon thing. And she started crying and she was like, will you go back now we usually really just call, call John and get the, get your job back. And I was like, no, you know, I'm really going to concentrate on Amazon. And she was like, no, we, we, we really have a brand new kid, like a brand new baby girl. You, you can't do this. And I was like, yeah, you know, ships already kind of sailed. So, um, and, and that's just where we, you know, that, that, that was it. That, hey, that's she how she, I got she knows the truth now, right? We're, we're not outing you on yeah. this episode where she's listening to in the car and says, honey, <laughs> it was years later. It was actually okay. years later before I told her the truth. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, uh, and that's really is that, that's how we got, that's how we really got our start. And then, uh, so that first few weeks, uh, was by myself and, uh, Eric was still working at the, at the company that I, I, well, I, you know, I just left. And I asked him, I remember it was, you know, in probably mid January. Cause we, cause I really got started on like January 1st, almost effectively in uh, 2012. And 
uh, I remember asking Eric, and I was like, I was like, hey, are you, you know, it's understandable if you don't want to come and, and work with me. And he, ultimately he did. And that's that's where our, our partnership really did start was right there. Um, and for the next you know two or three years, we did uh, retail arbitrage. We averaged about a million dollars per year. And, uh, you know, everything was going swimmingly well, like as far as making good money. What kind of profit margins, by the way, like a million, like, so let's say you, you gross sales were a million for the year. Like how much could you actually take home? Like our margins in retail arbitrage were just, were massive, like 25, 30%. So, oh, like, wow. our, you know, our, our profits on that were, uh, 250, 300K probably. Um, so like we were making great money, but there was a, you know, there was another huge problem in, in our business model. And it, you know, it, I had to leave. I, I literally had, you know, sell a million dollars worth of product and live where we live. Like you have to be out shopping all the time. Like, you know, there's not enough stores. Like we would drive to, you know, Nashville, we would drive to Cincinnati, we would drive to, and, and we would be gone. Uh, you know, uh, like ultimately we took trips to New York and Mississippi and like all, you know, as you know, as far as we could go just to find more product to buy. And it would be driving, you know, on the road out buying three or four days a week, uh, get back, spend a couple of days with our family and process the product and then back on the road again. And, and that's, that's what it took to get, you know, to a million dollars in sales plus, uh, with, with retail arbitrage. Now I'm sure there's like people out there that can do it like with less work, but I, it, it's a lot, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's not something you can, Oh, let me, let me hire a, a VA in another country to do this. They can't go driving around to all the Walmarts and exactly. Alabama, Kentucky, and Mississippi, you know, to, to, to source this stuff. So, so is that, is that why you started looking at other, you know, at other avenues on Amazon because you're like, Hey, this is going to be hard to scale or. or- uh, sure. Exactly. No, I mean, it was not only was it hard to scale, it was just hard to do. Like, you know, whenever you, whenever you start thinking about it, because at this point, like, you know, we're two years, two, two years plus into owning our business. Like whenever you start thinking about the the business you want to own, it's not one that if you literally stop working, your business dies the next, you know, uh, relatively shortly thereafter. That's not a real business. And, and that's what we started realizing is like, you know, all we did was give ourselves a really high paying job. And, uh, you know, besides having money, there was nothing to show for it. Like we didn't have any assets in our business. Like if we stopped working, our, our, our income went away. Yeah. And, uh, so that was, I remember it was in, it was really like a, uh, black Friday that I, I decided that I just could honestly couldn't take it anymore and really was dead set on finding another business model. And it was because, you know, we had to go out, we had to go shopping again. And that was like the you know, second or third year in a row that I, I didn't get to spend Thanksgiving dinner with my kids. And it was just, uh, to me, it was unbearable. So what, how, how did you just like arrive? What did you purposely set out to, to do wholesale or what was the very first arrangement that can be classified today as, Hey, this was our first wholesale kind of agreement. I remember like just thinking why, you know, why can't I just buy this one product? Like why can't, why do I have to go hunt for all these different things to see what might be good? Why can't I just find a good product and then buy it? And ultimately that's, that was where we found our model. And what we call it is reverse sourcing wholesale. And it's funny because we call it reverse sourcing wholesale because it was just the opposite of the, of the, the conventional wisdom at the time. You know, the conventional wisdom said, find a distributor, find a trade show, find, find products that work at those. And we started finding products and then contacting the manufacturers. Remember the first conversation I had with the brand is I found the product that, that looked really cool and I ended up calling them and I was like, uh, yeah, can you tell me which uh, distributors carry your product? And they were like, 
well, I mean, you could just open an account and buy it from us. And I was like, whoa, like, really? Yep. And uh, I, was, I was like, all right, so what's what's the minimum order? And here I am expecting, you know, $25,000 minimum order or something like that. And it was $250. I didn't let myself, uh, you know, I, I was a, I was terrified to contact manufacturers for at least a year because I, I, I thought that they would be too big. And so, you know, I'd heard that I'd heard that from from people, too. I'd heard that uh, minimum orders with, you know, with this company, yeah. is like thirty thousand dollars. And so there was never a use for me to reach out. And, you know, it's it's kind of funny because I think we would have gotten started so much faster if we would have just challenged um, that that kind of established mindset. And that, that's what I would I would I would challenge people to do that. Listen to this is, you know, whenever you hear something, don't just take it for granted. Like, find you know, check it and see if it, it it's holds true for you as well. But yeah. that was our real you know, that, that was our, our, our real first account was that one. And it just, from there, I remember uh, there was another one that, and, and it, but it was too easy. I, I remember when I hung up the phone, I was thinking like, gosh, if it really is this easy, I'm going to be a millionaire in a month. The next thing I, I would do is, you know, when I would call people, they would be like, oh yeah, we're not really looking for any other Amazon sellers. And that became the next uh, challenge for us, right? Is like all these brands that we want to deal with were just no longer accepting Amazon sellers. And I remember, and this was kind of like a breakthrough moment for another one. And it, I, I think it uh, really exemplifies what what our company's about and like what kind of wire model works. So I called this company and they, at the time, they were uh, selling to to three different sellers. And I, I remember two of them. I remember one of them was ATLs and one of them was River Colony Trading. You know, those are companies are both massive, massive, massive uh, third-party sellers in the Amazon marketplace. And... uh so I, I call this, I, you know, I'd send an email and I got the traditional response that it was a, uh, you know, they, they weren't plan- they weren't going to be working with any other Amazon sellers. I'd love to talk to you about that. And it's like, I, I you know, if you just have a, a couple minutes, I would love to uh, talk to you about that and offer you guys some some help with uh, with your current listings. And the guy was like, what? Why, why in the world would I need help? And I was like, just give me a couple minutes of your time and I'll I'll, I'll happily explain. So he prefaced with, you know, we work with the biggest Amazon sellers. We, we work with two of the biggest Amazon sellers. Why, what could you possibly offer us that they can't? And I was like, I, honestly, I can't offer you anything that they can't offer you, you know. Um, but, but let me just have a couple minutes and I'll show you. So I remember the first thing I did is I got him on to, I, I asked him if he could get on, uh, on a computer. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. So I get him to go check out his listing and he's, he's looking at it and he's like, yeah, you know, it looks like an Amazon listing. And then I remember I, I was like, well, check out this one, too. And I was like, you might know these guys. And it was one of their competitors. And he went to their listing and it was completely optimized, you know, beautiful pictures, uh, just well-written bullet points. Um, the description was beautiful. Like everything about it was just well manicured. And you could tell that somebody, you know, carefully cultivated that listing. So that became our new mission was just find account, you know, find products and accounts where we could offer value and become almost like preferred vendors for them. So that that's, it's kind of like, I mean, I, I think you had a word for it, like reverse wholesale or something. It's almost like, you know, offering private label level services to these companies who don't know how to manage their own label. So you guys are helping them, you know, run their business, which they have the power of being a brand. So when you add the whole private label listing optimization, keyword optimization, PPC strategies to that, it just, the effect is even greater than just a random no brand name, private label person trying to do the same thing. Exactly. No, I mean, that's, that's the, you you hit the nail on the head. 
as you know, we we're, what we're trying to do is bring up the level of service to them, to somebody like a private label seller. You know, I've said it for years. Private label sellers are tend to be the most skilled sellers on Amazon and it's not close. And it's because they have to learn how to make their product sell. So so it's, you know, that's what we're doing is we're, we're bringing that same type of optimization to them. But you're, you're also right in that it's significantly easier because you're working with a brand name. So to get traction or to see, to, to see success, like I don't have to establish my product. I, I like, I, you know, the vast majority of products we carry sell hundreds or thousands of times each month before we optimize it. So, you know, once we've optimized it, like the, the growth potential is just massive. In one year, like what's the most just strictly under like the wholesale model? What's the most you've made in one year grossed in one year off of the wholesale kind of strategy? Oh, we've done, we've, you know, we've done 7 million in sales. Like our, um, that's not our, that's, uh, it, it kind of changed. Like our, our mindset for that is originally mm-hmm. we were trying to run sales up and, and just increase our margins that way. But we've really kind of refocused and it is, you know, I, I've cut more than uh, probably 30% of the vendors that we were actively working with or 40% and uh, refocused on trying to be, trying to be a, you know, the best possible uh, partner we can to the brands that we work with. So, mm. you know, rather than have like, uh, you know, before say, say two years ago, our business model was, you know, set up as many accounts as possible, uh, buy and sell those products. And if one of them really kind of sets itself apart, then we, we, we may focus and, and try to optimize. Right. Uh, now it, our, our focus really is if we can't, if we can't develop a good partnership with the company that we work with, like we're just not at this point, we're not really interested. So we're pretty much the exclusive seller for almost every product that we carry at this point. That, that was going to be my question too. Yeah. Do you, do you ask for exclusivity on that? Because you know, yeah. you, you don't want to have a race to the bottom with other, with other, you know, people who are wholesaling it. We don't ask for it initially. Uh, usually we come on as a seller, just, just, you know, just like any other seller and we provide a ton of value and then we start having those talks for exclusivity. And if it, you know, if they're open to it, then we tend to stay on and work with them. And if they're not open to it, we tend to, to move on. Now, what are some of the circumstances where you would just say, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Like what are, what are your metrics that you use? It's obviously not just about, I mean, profit, you know, of course has to be part of it, but you know, that's not the only feature, but what are some reasons that you have used in the past that, that made you say no? Uh, to not want to work with a brand. Yes. Oh, that they, uh, resistant to resistant to, uh, making changes. Like the, you got to realize the, the vast majority of struggle with brands is that they, is their supply chain. Like their supply chains are nightmares. And if they're not willing to uh, take measures to take better control of the supply chain, uh, then, then it, it makes it pretty tough to work with them. And, and what I mean by that, uh, you know, I'm not trying to be like vague or awkward is, uh, you know, just knowing who their sellers are. Like if they if, you know, if they're externally distributed through lots and lots of distributors and they have no intention of trying to get their distributors to to help them police their Amazon presence. Like it's going to be a hard road to ever make real amount of money, any real amount of money with that brand, because it's always going to fluctuate with that, that race to the bottom scenario. And that, that's kind of what we found ourselves in whenever we were trying to just do more sales. Right. It's like we had a lot of these great products that were just wildly inconsistent. And, uh, you know, that's that's what that's ultimately what we moved away from now is, is our focus is on developing that relationship uh becoming an exclusive seller and being able to help them grow their brand as well as uh, 
not have to not have to do that. I mean, just not have to go through the rigmarole of of fighting off other sellers uh, in that race to the bottom process. Okay, now how, how do you what what do you suggest in, in this day and age? Like how to find you know th- those companies? What are what are some good just a couple couple ways that people can find this opportunity? Sure, sure. Uh, the first thing we look for is that the product's not carried by Amazon. Um, and the reason I like to start there is is twofold. Amazon's tough to compete with. Like they don't play by the same rules as everybody else um, as far as buy box exposure and uh, split, you know, their share of the buy box. So that makes it really tough to compete with them and be able to predict your sales. The second reason is, it, you know, when Amazon retail controls a product page, it makes it very, very hard to make changes. And you, you can do it. You can ultimately, you know, make those changes, but it just makes it far more annoying. So it's very hard for me to deliver the value that can set me apart and set, you know position me for those exclusives. So that's the reason we just avoid Amazon entirely. Um, the second, the second real metric that we're kind of looking for is that the product's sold by three or more sellers. And it, you know, that might sound counterintuitive to somebody who's like, well, hmm. whoa, you know, I thought you wanted to be exclusive and it, you got, you got to realize what you're starting with, right? It's like, whenever you go up to a brand and you say, Hey, I'd love to carry your product. P.S. Can I be exclusive? Uh, can I be exclusive vendor your products? They they think you're insane. Like <laughs> they have no reason to work. You've have you've not given them any value at all. So it's just like you know it's a it's a terrible idea. Um. So the reason that we want them to have three or more sellers is uh, you know whenever you think about uh you know how we align with people. You know, the vast majority of private label products, I don't align as a third party seller with them because they created their product wanting to be the seller of uh, of that product. You know what I mean? Like they okay. brought that product to market to be the seller. So in that in that instance, like I don't align And the vast majority of times. If I would reach out, they would probably say no. And so to save time, we avoid products with less than three sellers. And that's a sign that they, they're open to working with third party sellers. And if I, I, I you know. I just realize if they if that opening exists and they're willing to work with a third party seller that I can provide value and change that relationship to what I need it to be. And now speaking speaking about that like about the you know a rate purchase arrangement like what percentage would you say or is there a suggested one where it should be a per, like where you're actually purchasing and then reselling it versus hey we're just going to take a cut of the of the sales or a cut of the profit or something like what's the better way to go and and in your experience what has been the majority of what, what's the percentage distribution of, of, of the kind of way it's set up? Well, we have uh, effectively in wholesale, we have two different models inside of our own business, right? Like one of them is buying and selling people's products. And that one's been incredibly, um, that one's been incredibly successful for us for years. And then we we've has, have a, a kind of a newer model that we've really been doing uh, over the past few months. And that is working directly with brands operating their accounts and create like creating their Amazon presence on Amazon with it for them effectively. So imagine, you know, owning an Amazon account that you uh, never operated and or saw. And and that's the service that we ultimately provide for them is let them create their own Amazon account, get it set up correctly, optimize their listings, manage their campaigns, et cetera. So the only difference is, you know, rather in, in those two scenarios is one I'm carrying cost of goods and, and, and the other one I'm not. Okay. Now it's 2020. So what do you see as the, the current status and future of this wholesale 
kind of format of, of selling? Do you, you know, some people say it's kind of on the decline because it's getting harder to find companies, but then, you know, I just talked to somebody who actually took your course and, and he's doing a 3 million of, uh, he did 3 million of sales, a hundred percent wholesale last year in, or in 29, in 2019. And, and he's looking to expand or should, should you say, Hey, you know, use wholesale to start, but then use your, your revenue to maybe start developing private label or what, what's the future holder or what do you suggest to, to sellers out there? Oh, I mean, uh, the honest, the, the honest truth is don't be a sucky seller. Like it, the, the future is just so open for people who want to get better at selling. Um, I, I think as far as wholesale is concerned is like, there's so much opportunity. There's more opportunity than ever, in my opinion, because brands really do need it right now. Like they actually need somebody who can come in there and uh, help them understand you know, what keyword, how, you know, how, how to position keywords in their listing, how to run better ad campaigns, how to do all the things that private label brands are actually doing because if they don't like they, they just lose so much ground um, inside the Amazon marketplace. So I think it's really, really important. I, I think it'll be really be tougher for people who don't really have that, like adding value kind of niche. And that's what I meant by, you know, don't be a sucky seller. Um, if I think over the next few years for people that are doing wholesale that are just like, you know, ordering from distributors and just kind of being really topical in, in their, uh, relationships with vendors. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, more, more transactional, they don't, they don't provide value. They don't ask a lot of questions. They don't have, they, they don't take time to build that to really build that relationship. I think those kinds of companies will struggle. And it's because, you know, the exact same thing you said is there's an abundance of people. There's an abundance of people looking to carry pro- products on Amazon, um, but there's far, far fewer people who are trying to be great at it. And it, I think if sellers can position themselves, I don't care what I don't care what uh, style you're using right now. Like you know, private label sellers, like private label sellers can do so much, so well in wholesale right now, just because of you know their ability their their ability to bring value to brands. And the same is true. Like, you know, the people who become really good at it in the wholesale space can do exactly what you mentioned earlier and maybe grow their own brand later. Um, But but the point is, I I think it's just really, really important for sellers to just try to really try to be the best seller you can possibly be. Try to learn more about the platform. Try to use great tools um, to be able to 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 get the right insights to work with, because being. uh, being proficient, uh, being proficient on Amazon, I, I do believe really is the one of the uh, biggest opportunities kind of kind of in our lifetime. Right. It's like Amazon's such a growing monster right now that it provides that level of opportunity if you can just be good at it. All right. Good to know. Now we come to the part of the show where I call it the t- or the TST 30 second tip part where, you know, you've been giving us some different tips already here. But what is something that you could say in 30 seconds or less, that's pretty unique and would be very valuable for any of our listeners who are interested into getting into the wholesale, you know, part of things or who are already in there. What, what is something that, that they should be implementing today? Start, honestly, start with providing value. Like that is the differentiator in the marketplace. If you want to do wholesale and don't be afraid to lead with too much value. And that's kind of something that we've really noticed over the past few months specifically is we've increased the, um, the, the level of detail uh, that we're giving to vendors on the front side to show them why they should be able to work with us. And I think that's a, I, I think that's, that's really is the way to get, to get more accounts in the future is show them why they can work with you, uh, build case so studies, over deliver, 
Right. Um, on you the maybe side. take a loss on your time at the beginning just to show them what you're capable of. Correct. All right. Well, I'm sure, you know, we've, we've been talking about this for over 30 minutes. I'm sure, you know, we haven't covered everything there is. So if somebody wants to reach out to you or find you on the internet to, to get some more information about how to sell using the wholesale model, how can they, how can they find you? Yeah, man, just check us out at the wholesaleformula.com or on our Facebook page, uh, the facebook.com forward slash the wholesale formula. We're always posting on there. We have blogs that go up, um, pretty, reg- pretty regularly. We, uh, it just it, yeah, jump on. Wait, wait. You, all those also link to our Facebook group, our our public Facebook group, and we're always in there interacting and talking to people. Well, thanks, Dan, for joining us today on the show. Appreciate you taking the time, and I'd love to reach out to you maybe end of 2020 and and see how you've been scaling your business even further. And we'll be definitely keeping in touch. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Bradley. Quick note, guys, don't forget that regardless where you are listening to this podcast, whether it's on your iPhone or on Stitcher or on Spotify, that you hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified every time we drop a new episode.